Well, welcome everybody to this uh, special podcast, which is um, basically inviting the two candidates for the position of president within the SNP to have a bit of a chat with one another ahead of the vote later this week. Um, and that is Mike Russell, uh, who held cabinet office for 12 years under Alex Salmond and uh, Nicola Sturgeon, who was president, has been president uh, since 2020, was acting CEO of the party for a wee while, and MSP until 2021 in Argyle, uh, where he lives. And Graham McCormick, who uh, lives by Loch Lomond, who uh, was uh, a solicitor that specialised in a lot of legal affairs, particularly convincing, um, who is convener of the SNP in Dumbarton and uh, perhaps the reason that most of you would have heard of him. Um, he's the man behind the annual ground floor and roof rent campaign, which is a kind of pretty formidable acronym that I keep suggesting to him he simplifies. But uh, that's none of my business. And uh, the only reason I'm holding the fort today um, is that somebody has to do that thing. While we have a wee bit of a conversation around uh, four points that, uh, that, that the two gentlemen have put forward to each, um, to just let them essentially go through their paces um, about how they perceive things in the SNP and what they would be doing essentially as president. So that's the idea. I'll be roughly keeping a bit of a check on time. And Pat will be listening and coming in with uh, extraordinary piercing insights from time to time <laughs> as he listens, because he is here. That was him <laughs> laughing in the background. Uh, so first of all, just to say to, to Graham and Mike, I mean, welcome to both of you. And are you both afloat after all the rain we've had? <laughs> well, pretty, pretty, pretty much so. Uh, we had 100 millimetres of rain here on on Saturday, which is a complete record for, for absolutely almost anywhere in the west of Scotland. It's been extraordinary. And we've now got a closed bridge, which means getting to the noon takes uh, an extra 20 miles each way. So it is a, it's a sort of a preview, I suppose, of, of what may happen with further climate change. And we should we should really take account of that. Mm. Graham? Yeah, well, we, we've not really had any bother at all. Um, the uh, we don't sit particularly high up above the loch, but we've not had any any problems that way. Uh, managed to get in and out, and um, although it's um, of biblical proportions, almost the rain uh, that we've had, it's, uh, it's it's not not stopped us at all. And uh, we've been very fortunate that the field next to our house uh, has not flooded for the first time, I think, ever. Um, so um, the, the department must be doing something to it to help us. <laughs> Right, good. Well, look, let's just get get forward with the questions then that you, you've both submitted. I'm just going to the, the first one that Mike's got, because it's a general one that will let you both kick stuff around. How will the SNP change to meet the challenge of the last eight months and re-energise members? Mike? Well, there's a serious problem. I mean, what Rutherglen says is that, by and large, people didn't turn out. And from the doorsteps, what people appear to be saying is they wanted reassurance. They wanted reassurance about the SNP, and it's perhaps a little surprise given the, the coverage that the SNP has had, the problems it's had in the in the last eight months. So we've got to do, I think, three important things. One is we're going to show people we've changed, and the governance and transparency review I've been involved in, I hope, will be part of that. It's not all of it. We've got to show people we've changed. We've got to show people we're listening to where they're at. This is a tough time for people. People feel very threatened. It's not just cost of living. It's up. The world is upside down, essentially. People want reassurance and, you know, they can go to the right, as, as we've seen in other countries, or they can actually be ambitious and want to see the world changing in a better way. We've got to be on their side there. 
And the third thing is we've got to give people hope and optimism. And optimism comes from saying there's a better way of doing this. And the better way of doing that is independence. It's not the minutiae. We've been, we've been guilty of talking a lot about process, far too much about process. We've got to excite and energize people. And if we have an excited and energized SNP because it, it, it's on the side of the people of Scotland and knows there's a better thing that people can do, then we'll have an excited and an energized Scotland. That's what we need to do. I, I unashamedly believe that the SNP is a good thing. The SNP has tremendous potential. What we've got to make sure is that we back that and support it and make it work and change it where it needs changing. And there are places it needs profound change. Right. Where does it need profound change? Well, it, involvement of members is a really big issue. Um, one of the things that the, the governance review has looked at most clearly, and that report will go to members later this week, we've got to give members back the, the party that they want. And what's happened is the balance of decision making has shifted the way we need to shift it back. Graham was on the National Executive Committee at one stage. She knows that this is this is the problem in the situation or one of the problems. So the party has to feel engaged in and making its own decisions. And it's got to have that exciting vision. I mean, independence is the exciting vision of Scottish politics. I mean, there isn't another one. And what we've got to make sure is that people understand that, first of all, that the party is enthused by it. And then that the people of Scotland are enthused by it. But pe people they have to be where people are. And people are are pretty, pretty down at the moment. We've got to encourage them. Just last week question, uh, Mike, before Graham picks up, you mentioned the governance review that you've been sort of chairing. Will it be submitted and discussed at conference? Yes. Yeah, I mean, that was a commitment from the very beginning. I mean, when, when, when the NAC decided to do this in, in April, uh, you know, the timescale we agreed was to make sure it came to a conference. And later this week, delegates will get the final report. It's been an enormous amount of work with some tremendous people engaged in it, I have to say. And uh, the, there's a session already on the uh, agenda, a published agenda that says it'll be considered late on, on Sunday. And I hope the entire team will be there. So everybody involved in this will be there to answer questions. But we've talked to lots and lots of people. We've listened to lots and lots of people. And we want to say to people, you know, we can change this and we can change it in a way that the party becomes more open. But it also addresses the cultural problems. And the, the biggest problems that the SNP have are not the problems of the Constitution, though we need to change that, too. It is the culture of the party. And I think everybody knows that. And we need to change that culture. We need to make it much more inclusive. And we also need to make it much more welcoming to people. And those are the things that the group's been deeply involved in and, and I hope will bear fruit. OK, Graham, uh, to answer that question, uh, how will the SNP change to meet the challenge of the last eight months and re-energise members? Well, I, I think it should uh, major on independence uh, and offer independence uh, as uh, the, uh, the most important thing. Uh, which um, would appeal to the public. Um, we know for a fact now that uh, polling shows that the uh, support for independence has never really been higher, uh, but the support for the SNP is, is waning. Uh, and as a result of that, uh, in order for the SNP to regain the initiative, then it must re show real leadership in um, in delivering independence. Uh, but what unfortunately we have seen particularly you know in the last few months uh, since Dundee when uh, Hamza indicated that uh, the next election was going to be the independence election 
we have basically seen backtracking of that. Uh, and that's my principal reason for standing for the president, because um, I, I uh, had hoped that what he had said at Dundee uh, would have uh, been um, acted upon. But instead, we have had senior politicians, both in print and at meetings, um, backtracking on it. We have this resolution, which is in the name of Hamza, uh, which refers to advancing independence. Well, we don't know what that means. That's not delivering independence. And I think in order to the SNP to really show leadership, uh, we've got to embrace the wider yes movement and actually get ahead of the other ones and say, you come and follow us and be part of this uh, and we can deliver independence at the next general election. And we can do that by dissolving the union. Uh, and that is that that is the most important thing, I think, for the SNP to do. Yes, I agree entirely that governance needs to be reviewed. And I'm, I'm quite confident that a lot of what's uh, going to be proposed um, will will be effective. But the thing which motivates people is independence within this movement. It's nothing else. It's independence. And if they can see that our leaders are actually uh, resolute in that, then they will, they, they will come back out. The activists will come back out. People will join the party uh, and, uh, you know, we will be successful. We just need the belief. OK, and just, you know, you say dissolve the union, basically, yeah. if what? What what trigger do you think constitutes that and how? How does that work? Well, well, dissolving the union would require, a, in my opinion, would require a majority um, a majority of the popular vote in the next general election in favour of the SNP and other independence um, supporting candidates. Uh, and basically, in terms of international law, uh, we are bound to the um, to England, Wales and Northern Ireland through the Treaty of Union. That's an international treaty. If, uh, and that gives us the right uh, to um, send MPs to Westminster. If our MPs, if our MPs withdraw from Westminster following a, a, a majority uh, vote in favour of that, uh, then that effectively dissolves the union. But what we've got to do is before the election, we have actually got to spell out to the, the, the electorate and also to our opponents that if they do not negotiate the dissolution of the union prior to the election, then we will be off the day after the election if we get the majority vote. Because they, we, we, we're never going to have a luxury of a transition period. It's not like nice Mr Cameron. We're dealing really with political thugs on the other side, uh, and they will they will not uh, they will not uh, provide this sort of space unless there is they are aware of the threat and the sanction. If they do not come to the table and discuss these things with us, then we are off. OK, let me bring Mike in just directly on that, because it's a very, you know, sharp. It's a very complete idea. Mike, how would that work? Well, I don't think anybody knows whether it will work or not. I mean, it's, it's as feasible as, as many other alternatives. I, I agree with Graham that if you stand for election, you must have a plan to implement if you win. Uh, other people have argued that that's the time for a constitutional convention, that people get together and, 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 and plan what uh, happens next and they take the responsibility for doing that. But it seems, with the greatest respect, to put, put the cart before the horse. The really important thing here is to get the people of Scotland voting in the next election in that majority, whether it be seats or votes. I mean, frankly, we just need to decide that and move on. But voting in favour of independence. We've got to entice people and excite people with what independence looks like. 
and I think uh, you know what I've heard so far, with with the greatest respect, is is a lot more process stuff. It's not actually that vision of independence. It's 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 almost as they used to say in Ireland, changing the the you know the colour of the post boxes. It's not about what independence actually does. How, uh, for example, you know we can be part of again the single market in Europe. We can be part of a system that actually has freedom of movement. <laughs> We can be that open-looking and inviting country that we really are, and we can go through. And this is this is what the Scottish government has to do, um, working with the Yes movement. I entirely agree to make people excited by the prospect of independence. And they don't get excited necessarily just by talking about constitutionalism. They get excited by talking about how their lives are going to change. And if we really believe in independence, and I've spent 50 years in the SNP next year, if we really believe in independence, then what we have to do is to put that vision in front of people and show that we're excited by it too. Graham? Well, I'm all for the vision, but, you know, as a number of SNP um, politicians have said to me, it's the cost of living crisis that's really confronting people just now. And what we've got to actually do is link the cost of living crisis to independence. Uh, uh, so that exactly. exactly. Of course, of course, of course, we've got to give people the vision, but we've also got to give them the comfort. We've got to give them something, and basically, uh, to put it crudely, we've got to buy buy their vote. I mean, we've got roughly about fifty percent of the population support independence, so we're, we're in a fantastic position. There's never been a better better time in order to uh, prosecute independence as the uh, as the the achievement of the next election. But the other thing you've got to remember about process is it's all very well saying vote for us and you get independence. You've actually got to decide how you achieve that independence because, as I put at the Dundee Convention, what if the UK government says no? What do we do? You know, and, and what, what seems to be proposed is we'll go to the international community, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll keep putting the pressure. All, all that is, is, is is basically a pressure group. That is not showing that the Scottish people have the opportunity, if they so desire, legally to dissolve the union and become an independent nation state. Now, the other part of the, the this um, uh, this proposal is that the, the Scottish government must use the powers that it has already in order to uh, improve the lot of the Scottish people uh, to a far greater extent than they have so far. And that, that basically takes you on to why I've been promoting um, uh, land reform and the use of land as the... the just, just hold your horses on that and you yep. know I'm person we're all very interested in land reform but I just want to just finish this bit on the constitutional uh, ideas because you have a very specific proposal you want to see a majority of the vote and you yep. want to see before the election MPs uh, a statement that MPs will will be withdrawn yeah if there isn't a, an immediate move on to negotiations um Mike would you see a case for that saying beforehand that MPs would be withdrawn if there is a majority of the vote and no negotiations regarding independence well not no negotiations I don't think that that's at all possible but the question the question here is is it seats or votes and you know with the greatest respect what we're getting here back into is being forced down the process road which only it, that only advantages those people who don't want independence because what they will be able to say is, oh, is that how you're going to do it? Well, that's not the right way. You have to do it this way. I mean, the hypocrisy of Westminster on this is absolutely astonishing. It's apparently got to be votes in a system that doesn't have proportional representation, not seats 
although their system is based upon seats. So what we need to do is to stop getting forced down that road again and again and again. We've spent two years on it. What we need to do is to say either seats or votes, let's decide. I think there's an argument for both, but let's, let's decide. But then let's say we're going to stop talking about that. Actually, you, you've been talking to Robin McAlpine about his proposal for a, a different way of approaching this. I think there's a lot of merit in that. And the, the, the most important thing about it is it says we need to get people on our side. We need to get people who are persuaded by independence in the majority and are inspired by independence. And therefore, they will be unstoppable. You know, when you get that to 60, 60, 65 percent, and this is you know what Common Wheel are talking about, that is the unstoppable momentum. Uh, I just think that to constantly go back again and again to the process issues, you know, unionists are laughing all the way to the ballot box because that's what bogs the argument down. We need to break free of that. Okay, Pat, have you got a thought? No, no, I'm just intrigued there because that's one of the questions I had up my sleeve to ask both Graham and Mike about uh, the, the the Commonwealth proposals. Because one of the key things, Mike, when I read your, your statement was initially, and I, I don't think this was intended, you said that you had to re-energise SNP uh, the SNP members. But from the perspective, particularly of Rotherham and West Hamilton, it seems to be it's more re-energise, yes, supporting voters. And that's the the key to it. And and uh, I mean, and it's an intriguing one here because I can see both. This is terrible. I'm going. I can see both sides of the argument. I I don't think Graham is going down the line of it's all about process. And I I I, I think that that what you do is it's a combination of the two. I think a statement, and I do give you Mike, is a clear statement is absolutely required of what the what the what we're going to do you know what what yeah. what the general election is about but secondly i entirely concur with you and i think graham agrees on this it's the vision thing of what an independence could po scotland could possibly be that will get that turnout that i saw during the the campaign yes. in 2014 we're going in places like lochie and everything like that in dundee where people were energized who were traditional labor voters and i think I that, th that that's key to it I think one thing follows another. I think, you know, the, the, the question, the original question was, what about the SNP? You've got to re-energise the SNP. And I think that's happening, but we, there's a great deal more to happen. And yes, energising the yes movement and energising Scotland. And that's why I think the common wheel proposals are, are really exciting, because that's the, the fundamental basis of them, that we get people energised and excited. You know, 2014 was an invigorating experience. We need but, to get back to that. Right, like, okay, none of us are... There's nobody in this conversation going to disagree with any of that. But having sat up all night in the studio for the Rutherglen result, yeah. I mean, that that was depressing the extreme. And so many people reported that whilst Labour had absolutely pulled up the legions from the south to, you know, and been, been in there for absolutely months to get that result, something that might be hard to repeat at a general election. But nonetheless, there had not been so much energy from MSPs or MPs um, on the SNP side. Now, you know, is there just an, a sort of a falling away of, of, of that energy and excitement even within the SNP? Because we constantly see tilts being taken at Hamza Youssef's leadership from others within the party. And if so, how would you, she said, remembering this is not a rant and <laughs> actually meant to be a question, how would you as president <laughs> manage hear that? Well, I, I mean, I've, I've made that clear. I, I, you know, I wrote a piece on the weekend for the National that made that clear. 
There's a range of things, one of which is actually uh, it, how you run elections. I mean, I think we're getting a bit rusty on that. But the other one is, yes, you've got to start by energizing the party itself. I mean, you know, what uh, Pat was, was saying there is he didn't think it was just the party. I agree. But you've got to start in the party itself. You've got to give them hope and confidence. But actually, stopping the sniping would be a very good thing to do. I mean, I said at the beginning, I'm unashamedly an SNP supporter. I, I, you know, 50 years next year, I'm going to stick with it. But we need to support our leader. We've only just elected Hamza in, in, in March. And we need to make sure we say... Let's settle this issue because that's what the debate is about. Seats or votes or whatever. Let's settle this issue and then let's do the type of things that Commonweal was talking about. For example, you know, making sure that the government papers are being produced become actually much wider than that. And we're giving people exciting reasons why independence works for them. Now, that's yeah, we've got to go back and do that. Nobody, but nobody could be anything other than depressed by what happened at Rutherglen. But the important thing, you know, is not to get depressed. The important thing is to get out of that and do the work that excites and inspires people. Graham, I, I'm coming to the land question. Um, on the same question, though, Rutherglen seemed to be not so much of an SNP turnout to kind of try and animate that uh, electorate and pull out the SNP vote. What would you as president be doing to try and reanimate people? This is essentially Mike's second question. What should a president be doing in that respect? Well, I mean, my pitch for president is basically a 12, a 12 month pitch. And that is that we we uh, we have Scotland independent within 12 months. That's the pitch and that's the plan that we, we can be independent within 12 months. That requires people to focus. But if you focus on a date like that, um, of the next general election, and I'm assuming obviously the next general election is probably going to be about 12 months away. Uh, that really means that all these people that are capping from the side or aren't motivated or whatever, they will come out as long as there is an absolute commitment from uh, the SNP and the SNP leadership, both in the Scottish government and the wider SNP, that we are fully committed to this and we are going to basically throw everything, including this kitchen sink, at it. Uh, and that sort of leadership will we'll do more to gen, uh, to um, energise the, the SNP and the wider uh, movement than, um, than than anything else. That's what they want. That's, you know, people people want that opportunity to go back out and actually speak to people and engage. And we can do that. Um, the, the Scottish government, through my plan, the Scottish government would be getting on with the day job, basically. Uh, but the thing is, to be a national party, to have policies which appeal to the widest possible part of our community and to encourage people along those lines, because that, that also means then that we are taking the general election so that the, our unionist opponents, whether they're Labour or Tory, um, are having to fight in two fronts. They've got to fight each other and they've got to fight us. And that really then uh, puts us in a far better position than uh, having this sort of um, uh, tepid um, thing about advancing independence. And nobody knows what that means. Uh, and the other thing is, you know, Westminster. Um, Westminster's not going to um, be bothered about demands from a, a, an, SN, an SNP um, cohort of MPs or whatever. They're, they're not in, they've never been interested in that. You can demand, 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 but they just ignore. So you've actually got to take uh, take the, the position into your own hands, not demand, but act and just go for it. And that's I'm only asking them to do this for 12 months. If we're unsuccessful, what is likely to happen is that at least the, the SNP will get more than 40% of the popular vote, so most of their MPs will get in anyway. 
But let's just concentrate on getting independence. It's the best chance we've got of doing it uh, and uh, that, that we've ever had, in fact. And Graham, that, then we can get everything together. Just one other question on this, the, you know, because this is such an important point. Um, yeah. Are you certain that the legally what you've described is possible about dissolving the union? Yes. OK, are other people? I'm not trying to cast dispersion. It's just that we went through a, an indie ref the last time posited upon the definite possibility we could share a currency, which, yeah. you know, got doofed by George Osborne. OK, the argument's still possible. It's still there, but it shook people's confidence a lot. Now, we would not want to be rerunning that. No, we don't need to, because basically what happens under international law in a dissolution and a dissolution doesn't require the agreement of both parties to be a dissolution. Uh, but what happens in a dissolution is that if the, both parties do not agree at uh, the terms of the dissolution, then uh, the, uh, the position is that until they do agree uh, on a framework, then basically any um, actions of either of the previous partners uh, uh, in reserved matters would require the consent of both sides before anything was done. Now, obviously, the, the, the actions of either side would be done by civil servants. It's not the politicians who actually do the actions, and they would need to be very careful about their own legal position as regards their own civil liability of taking actions without the consent of both sides. Uh, so this, this Can I just say that's, that sounds to a lay person, that sounds kind of messy. Well, it's not. It's, I mean, it, well, any, anything to a certain extent is messy. But, you know, uh, but having said that, that, that actually puts Scotland in a far greater position than the, than the rest of what was the, the, the UK. Um, in fact, the UK ceased to exist in dissolution. What, 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 what the English politicians, uh, political establishment, are desperate for is they would want to be the continuing state. But that's not an automatic thing in dissolution. And international law is very different from domestic law. International law is largely the, the, the law of the victor or the law of the, um, the particular interest of individual states. And they will make that, other countries will make that sort of assessment and uh, how they view the dissolution of the United Kingdom. OK, let me just ask Michael, just really briefly, do you accept that that dissolution is possible? I accept it's possible, but I've been, alas, I, I sort of hear the sound, the gloopy sound of a legal bog, you know, which we're trying to get ourselves out of. I, I think this obsession with process is immensely damaging, and it's not where the people are. The people are, as we've said earlier, you know, with a lot of problems, a lot of things threatening them, cost of living crisis being one of them, war on the continent of Europe and elsewhere. They need reassurance. They need vision. They need excitement. They don't need a legal bog. OK, but Mike, are you saying then that you think it's what's the what's the strategy? Get to 60 percent and then? Well, yeah, I, th I think you have to have massive public support and I think you have to build up public support. And that's why we need to energize the party, the movement, the country. And so make that's sure the strategy. That comes back. Sorry? It's, it's lift the percentage support. That's the strategy. Uh, yeah, lift of support. I mean, you know, if 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 law is indeed, as they say, the you know, the, 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 the flows from politics, then it's politics that matter. And what happens here is if the people of Scotland demand independence because they've been excited by it, they'll get it. Okay. But they don't get it because there's a legal bog in which we are trying to wade our way through the mud. Right. OK, let's not knock bogs, however, you know, they are actually saving the world. But anyway, <laughs> you know, this is punishment. Good bogs. <laughs>
<laughs> we've just we've just really had one question, but actually it covered one also that you were quite keen to ask. So let's just really finish really with the question, the other question that is characteristically yours, which is, I mean, essentially, why has the Scottish government not introduced a land tax of the of of one of the variants? But you have got a proposal for how that could be done. Yeah, well, I mean, we've been in the talking about it for years uh, but nothing nothing has happened uh, and I mean despite the fact that the land commission was created and all the rest of it the land commission basically kicked that one down can down the road uh, for reasons best known to themselves um, but well, what's the plan Graham yeah, pardon Sorry, what is the plan in a nutshell what is the plan well, well, well the, the, the plan is basically to um, have um, uh, to abolish abolish Existing devolved taxes and once independent abolish the reserve taxes too and replace that with a, a tax on the or a rent an annual ground rent on all land and, and buildings and we have we have basically it's divided into land types so there's affordability built into that but we can raise far more money for public services through that system we can raise so much that we can actually produce a really useful universal uh, basic income for everybody. I mean, I worked out at £200 a week and we're still... Graham, sorry, forgive me for relentlessly interrupting you here, but because this will be a new thought for a lot of people, where does that extra money come from? Well, it, it actually comes more, although the, the, the big landed estates will be paying more money, it, it's, it's, it, it, the liability would fall not just on private individuals, but also on the public sector as well. Because one of the at least the useful things that came out of the Land Commission was that 60% of all uh, dilapidated and vacant land in urban Scotland is owned by the public sector. So they have not, they have not been stewards of the, the properties and lands that they have had. So they would be forced to pay it too unless they actually used the land productively or properties or gave it away. So the incentive would be that all land, regardless of whether it's in the public sector or private sector, would be used productively to pay the, 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 the annual ground rent on it. Now, this isn't based on valuations. This is based on area occupied. Uh, so you don't need a fancy valuation system to operate it. Um, and um, as I say, it can be developed with uh, uh, different land types. Um, I, I've, I've actually got it down to two land types just now, but it could be extended to 30, 40 or whatever number right. land. Okay, the, the mind is blowing already, so that's that's enough to, to kind of get your head around. <laughs> is there anybody using this system? No, but I mean, Scotland is known for, for inventors, so here's a new invention. I mean, there, right. are, there are systems of, of, of land tax all over, all over the world, but I, I haven't come across one quite like this. Okay, Mike. Why, the question is, why has the Scot Scottish government not introduced a form of land tax? Well, I, I mean, Graham is, is, a, is a huge enthusiast for this, has written a book on it, and I, I respect that. But, you know, I think it's a bit disingenuous to say the Land Commission had its own agenda. Land Commission, actually, Scottish Land Commission, which is entirely respectable body, very actually, and, and doing some very good things, commissioned the University of Reading to look at this. And they did not come up with the enthusiasm that Graham said. They said there was a place for it. It was a place for continuing to examine it. But they also looked at some of the downsides and, and other studies have also looked at the downsides. And in the middle of a cost of living crisis, no matter how well you introduced you know, a totally new system of taxation, there would be losers. 
and you would find yourself with a very considerable row uh, going on at the same time. Uh, presumably, Graham wants this to happen in the next 12 months while you know, we're moving towards independence. Uh, while we're moving towards independence, the government is being accused of, of charging people lots more money. There's objections to do with uh, the, you know, incentives for land development, negative impact on homeowners, determining land values. Those are all real objections which need to be taken seriously. There is no reason why this should not be something which we take or elements of it take seriously as we move towards independence. But I think the idea that you would introduce it now and within the next 12 months without considering many of the downsides and the respectable examination of this by bodies such as the Scottish Land Commission, well, I don't think you'd want to do that in any in any reasonable society. Okay, well, but Mike, well, you know, the, the, Scot, the Scot SNP has been committed to overhauling the council tax yes. since 2007, so it's not yeah. like there hasn't been a wee bit of time to think of something else. And I think there has been, you know, generally there's a feeling, mm -hmm. I wish I had all the august bodies in my head immediately to summon up, Graham does, that some form of land tax is a good idea as the package that would replace the council tax. Yeah. Now, why has the Scottish Government not? Because it's because it's not as easy as that. Because it's not as easy as that. There are tremendous downsides uh, in, in moving in this direction. And it's not some form of land tax. What Graham has outlined to us is, as by his own admission, a form of land tax that isn't used anywhere else. Um, now, I'm sure that Scotland could be very, very inventive. But I'd be very leery of saying, but wow, we're going to introduce a land tax nobody else has had, and we'll do it all within 12 months. Okay, I mean, that's, that's I fine, that's Mike. Mike, that's fine. I'll let Graham come back in a second. That's not the question I asked. Hello. Yeah. I asked, why has the Scottish government not introduced some form of land tax? Because it's not as easy as it looks. But also, as you know, Leslie, because I've said this on, to you before and on programmes with you before, I think the Scottish government should be more radical in local democracy too. And I think one flows from the other. So I'm happy to see movements in that direction. I'd like to see them. Okay, Graham, your your system, you know, or just a land tax, just to, to finally, what do you make of what Mike said there in response about the level of disruption now? Well, there will be no disruption. It's the easiest thing to bring in because most of the actual infrastructure of government is already in place. We have a land register. We have the General Register of Seasons. We have Revenue Scotland. Uh, we have a cadastral plan. Uh, all these things are in place. So it, it's really, and, and not only that, the, the actual registration for it falls on the owners of land and property to register for it. And if they fail to uh, register for it uh, uh, within a certain period of time, they actually can lose their land and property. So the responsibility is on owners, regardless of where they are. It's a very, very easy system to introduce. And there isn't a downside because with the calculations I've made, including the provision whereby we can fund a, a really useful uh, universal basic income of two, at least £200 a week, uh, you know, people will be far better off. Right, OK. And, got, got, you know, got those arguments. You just do, you just, you just do the calculations. You, 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 you know the area of Scotland. It's my idea of hell, hell on a stick. Is <laughs> And the problem is, you know, but, but, but seriously, that is a difficulty because, you know, you are you got a blooming degree, degree in law and you can obviously count. A lot of the rest of us are just not quite that up there. Now, that doesn't stop. I don't know how my car works. It doesn't stop me getting into that. But, you know, it, it, it is going to need some sort of, you know, you know, supporting idea to be able to push that forward as pr pretty much the thing that has to happen before we get to the next independence referendum. 
well, I mean, I, I, I've illustrated how, how everyone can actually calculate what their liability would be. Basically, all they need is a tape measure or go on to a, a website like daftlogic.com to, to measure the area of the property. So, I mean, it's as easy as that. Not only that, people would know at the start of every year exactly how much tax you were paying for the full okay. year, unlike now. Right. Pat, have you got a final observation or question for the Well, the, the, the final thing I was considering was that uh, how valid uh, a statement is it that uh, uh, is has the Butte House agreement with the Greens been a positive or negative for the Scottish National Party? <laughs> OK, there's a little bit of a googly coming at the end from a man who likes cricket. Michael. Yeah, Pat, bowling out of Dundee. It's just yes. a big discussion. Um, I'm I'm in favour and continue to be in favour of it. I think the question of the... Sorry, that's uh, my phone, which should have been switched off. Uh, I'm in favour of it. The question of whether it's been beneficial or not, we won't know until the end of the process. But, you know, we started this by saying, uh, before we started recording, started by saying, look, um, talked about the weather. We've got an appalling climate disaster facing us. We need to be able to work in the closest possible way with everybody who wants to overcome that. And I think that was my reason for voting for it and continues to be my reason for voting for it. But both the SNP and the Green Party need to look now at how they're presenting this and what they're doing, because quite clearly, in terms of the voters of Rutherglen, they're not yet persuaded. And Graham? Well, my position is that we are on this earth as members of the SNP to gain independence. And that's the most important thing. And I'm saying that everything should be focused on gaining independence uh, between now and the next general election. I provided a plan. So it's a 12 month plan to get this up and running and delivered. Now, Great. I uh, appreciate you, you, you that, that, you're summarising. I just want you to answer Pat's point. Is the Butte House agreement with the Greens an advantage or a liability for the SNP? Well, well, whether it's an advantage or a liability, you know, is, is depends on whether we actually focus on independence. If we focus on delivering independence, and uh, I mean the Greens, if you take, the, I mean the Greens are in support of a thing of of universal basic income. They're also supportive of some form of land taxation. Maybe not 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 what I've suggested. But the thing is that I, I wouldn't worry about that. I mean I think we we, we focus because the important thing is to keep the SAP at the, the, the predominant leader of the um, and respected leader of the yes movement. And in order to do that, we have got to focus on independence. Anything less will actually uh, cause the demise of the SNP uh, because there are so many people, uh, basically good activists and all the rest that are just getting a bit fed up with the prevarication, the backtracking, etc. We have got to go for independence right, left and centre. And that's it. OK, you guys have had roughly equal time, according to my little not very good stopwatch here. Uh, that probably is enough and the end. Thank you for, you know, really Thanks. good, good questions and answers. Um, and let me just clarify, when when is the voting closing for this post of president? Uh, I think, I think in the Sunday, I think in conclusion of the uh, I think it concludes with the conference. So I think the result would be known just before the end of conference. But. Um, I'm not entirely sure, actually. So vote early, vote early. This entire podcast, Mike, as you as you realise it. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you both very much. And as as obviously, just get voting, people, if you're in the SNP. And um, thank you very much for your time, gents.